Hey everyone, uh, Patrick Gartland, CTO of CloudChecker, and today we wanted to talk about keeping pace with the cloud, managing and optimizing as you scale out. Now it doesn't matter if you haven't had, if you don't have any workloads in the cloud or you have a ton, uh, a lot of these questions, a lot of these theories, a lot of these best practices uh, apply to you no matter where you are uh, in your journey. One of the very first places we like to start off with is ask some foundational questions. Uh, what is your tagging strategy going to be? How are you going to manage our eyes? Do you have to have VPN tunnels, direct connect, uh, VPC peering? What are some foundational pieces of your cloud strategy that you want to identify on day one so that you A, don't accrue a lot of tech debt, but B, as you go, your momentum, you're getting stuff done that you aren't going to have to come back and redo any time in the future, and people don't waste their time doing something that maybe won't work because they're not following some best practices. Now, a lot of these questions don't take a ton of time to go through. Uh, tagging strategies, that can be answered very, very easily. Uh, how do you want to manage it cost-wise? Uh, what visibility or insight do you want to have? I will say it's gotten a lot easier since they upped the limit uh, for tags from, I think there was about 10 before. Now you have uh, 50 just about on every service. So you can be a lot more verbose as to what you want to put there, but making sure you have that so that you have the information at your fingertips. Uh, even going as far down to how are you going to do single sign-on? Are you going to use something like Okta or are you going to uh, have everyone have their own AWS account directly? Making sure that you have that decision done early will prevent cleanup. Uh, again, make sure that as you get more workloads in the cloud, as you build up that momentum, there isn't anything that comes up later on that is going to slow you down or have you uh, change direction. So this is a chart. I think it's been very uh, accurate as far as what I've seen to date. It's kind of the typical growth in the cloud. Uh, typically, it's a team will get out there. They'll do a proof of concept. Wait a while. You get approval. Uh, then one app will start getting on there. The second app will get on there. And before you know it, everyone is moving everything they can just about as fast as they can into the cloud. Now, this is where the uh, executive team truly starts caring is when you hit that inflection point. And usually it's when there's an extra comma in your uh, AWS monthly bill that there will be a very much a knee-jerk reaction of stop everything, we don't have insight, we don't know what's going on, why did this happen, who's monitoring it? Uh, so what you want to make sure is that you don't hit that point. Uh, that will kill your momentum. Depending on the speed of the company, it can be a couple weeks to a couple months of, hey, we need to stop everything and figure stuff out. There's probably going to be a lot of tech debt to clean up. And most people, they're ideal day is not going back and cleaning up a lot of tech debt. They want to be launching new services, moving forward, getting their applications in the cloud, not going back and cleaning stuff up that they thought they were already done with. So having the visibility and insight from day one, when you do the load test, when you're working on the proof of concept, so that as you grow out, everyone is very much aware this is what's uh, coming down the pipe. I know that this team is launching. I know that their bill is going up. I know their growth is going up. But they are aware of it. The chargebacks are in place. The security team has insight into what they're doing. No one feels like they're being left behind. There's no shadow IT stuff going on with people with private accounts or whatever they're doing. Everyone has visibility into it. That way you keep the momentum. Everyone knows what's going on. I can't stress that enough. Uh, depending where you are, almost everyone hits this uh, if they don't plan ahead just a little bit. So as a customer, what are the main places that you want to focus? Cost always comes up simply because that is usually one of the ones that people will hit first. Uh, they want to make sure that they have everything as optimized as possible. Uh, you'll see a lot of companies where it's a lift and shift type mentality. 
take the same specs they have in the data center, move them to the cloud. You want to make sure that that wasn't something you did just because it was harder to upgrade stuff in the data center. Uh, in the cloud, you can turn something off, change the size, relaunch it in about five minutes. You shouldn't be way over-provisioned if you don't have to. Uh, if you're not using auto-scaling, that's something definitely to look into, uh, but making sure that you're running as efficient as you can. Uh, RIs always get brought up in this. They're a great way to save money. Having that focus on being efficient goes actually hand-in-hand -hand with security because if you don't have things sitting out there, if you are making sure that everyone is responsible for what they're spending, you will have a, a smaller tax surface, fewer things to monitor, fewer things that, hey, there's a uh, server launched in the Singapore region with the tag do not delete. That got left out there for six months. Uh, a, it was probably vulnerable. Uh, you don't know who was maintaining the security patches, who was watching it, but B, it probably cost you a lot of money. Singapore is one of the more expensive regions. So if you have the cost tracking in place, that would have gotten caught early on or maybe at the end of the month whenever someone saw it, reduces your attack surface. So for security, what do you do to manage your secure, your secure configurations? Uh, you want to be able to look at drift, stuff that came out on day one, maybe it had the perfect setup, everything was great, everyone signed off on it. Is it still going to be that way three months, six months from now? Who's going to go in and accidentally change something? Or maybe uh, something crashed and they need to go debug something so they open it up to the world and they forget to lock it back down. Those are the kinds of things that, not typically rocket science, but they're also things that happen all the time. And that's the kind of stuff that you want to have insight into. You want to make sure that you're not going to get caught out six months later, like you hear in the news, all the S3 buckets uh, that are public you want to make sure that that doesn't happen to you because that is not a very fun place to be. Oops. Now, the visibility and control, you have the insight, you have the data, you have everything secure, you're making sure that you're efficient. How do you govern that? How do you make sure that teams are following the best practice checks, that your security team has the insight, that when new teams launch something, they're making people aware of it, or that you have a process to understand when things are launched, making sure that everyone uh, is looking at all of the pieces they need to. So having that data at your fingertips, being able to go through it very, very quickly and easily is something that as you scale out, you're going to want to be able to do, uh, to be, be able to do very easily. Now, focusing on security for a minute, AWS has the shared, uh, the shared security model where they make sure that no one's going to go up to the server, put a USB stick in it, walk around in the server room or in the data center, do anything like that. Uh, you have to make sure that your applications aren't open to the world. So it's actually a great thing, I think, because I don't have to worry about a lot of the stuff that is not really a value add for me or my company. I get to focus on exactly what uh, I can control, which is making sure my servers are locked down, making sure that I'm running updates, making sure that my SSL certs don't expire. That type of stuff, which is directly impacts me, that's what I want to be focused on, and that's where I want to spend my time. Now, when it comes to best practices of what you configure, starting with your VPC, locking it down is one of the easiest things to do, but it can also be one of the uh, simplest things not to do. Just on day one, open it up to everything because I just want to get in there. I want to start connecting to whatever is there. You want to make sure that you have that locked down, especially uh, like SSH, making sure that's not open to the public or your whitelisting IP addresses. Uh, if you have a uh, more mature corporate network, if you have VPN tunnels or Direct Connect, making sure that you're monitoring that and that's how you're accessing all of your services uh, that you have hosted in the cloud. Um, 
ELBs, ALBs, making sure that those are set up and secure, uh, whether something is in a private subnet, a public subnet, there's a lot of, again, very simple things to do to add a lot of security or at least reduce your attack surface uh, greatly. When it gets to VPCs, there's also VPC endpoints. Uh, again, this is all documented. Amazon loves to announce that they, or say that they announce a thousand updates every year. It's also very easy to miss sometimes when they do all of these updates. Uh, part of what we do, and I do uh, just about weekly, is go through what, is, what are all the new announcements on their blogs. What does it apply to? Is there a new best practice check that us as CloudChecker needs to do? Uh, but is there something that we need to be aware of or a new service that would actually help us? That is not something that is always uh, easy to do or anyone at any given company wants to maintain and go through those thousand things every year or the 25 new ones every week uh, to understand what they need to do. And I say that because VPC endpoints, they continuously add to it. A year ago, I think they had two or three. Uh, I think we're up to four or five now. Uh, now, VPC endpoints, make sure that your data stays within your VPC. So whether it's S3 or Dynamo, your data stays there, it doesn't go out uh, outside of the VPC, and you can get a little bit of a performance upgrade. But these are things that, again, not rocket science, but you want to make sure that you have checks going on so that if some production workload does get deployed, you know that they're not using VPC endpoints when they should. That is where your value add is going to be is here's the to-do list. We're going to go focus on that versus the writing the scripts, the cron jobs, whatever it might be uh, to understand what is out there and what you need to focus on. Inventory. Now, we talked about the server that got launched in Singapore, had the tag do not delete, so no one deleted it, and it got left there for six months until someone finally figured out it shouldn't actually be there. Uh, being able to monitor what you have in the cloud uh, is it's very, very important, especially if you are a company that has dozens of AWS accounts or hundreds in some cases. You don't necessarily want to log into each account, go to each region, see what's there. You want to have that aggregated together so that you can see why do we have anything launched in Singapore? We shouldn't have that. Uh, you can't just, and this is very important when it comes to having secure configuration. You can't just say, here's a, here's a CIDR block, just run a scan and tell me what comes back. Uh, that's not really something you can do in AWS. You can get permission, but it's not something that you'd want to rely on the same way you would in a data center. You could just kick it off kind of anytime you want or during scheduled maintenance periods. Uh, so you want to make sure you have your inventory uh, at your fingertips. You're able to monitor to make sure it's a secure, con secure configuration uh, so that the security holes that users do create, and the vast majority of them are created by users, uh, bubble up to the surface. You want to know that you have insight into everything and there isn't something out there that you can't monitor or you can't see uh, easily because as you scale out, as you go from having 10 instances to 1,000 or 10,000, you can't manually go in and log, or you can't go log in and view all of those or expect that you might just notice it while you're in the AWS console. You need to automate this, have the issues bubble up, again, so that you don't get overwhelmed uh, with information. Now this is also where I will say starting early in the process is insanely important because what is not gonna be fun is if you wait until you have, I don't know, a couple hundred VPCs and then you realize all of them are open to the public or at least have certain ports open, you don't wanna have to go back and audit each and every single one of those. No matter how ambitious your security team or your dev team is, A, that's typically not work that they're gonna find very interesting, uh, but that's also gonna take a ton of time where they could be doing uh, much more valuable uh, work at your company. So this is where we get into best practice checks. Uh, CloudChecker has uh, over 500 of them, but basically the goal is anything in red is bad. 
Uh, you can set up automation. This is where you want the information to go to where you are, whether it's email or Slack. Uh, but you want to know that here is my to-do list of what I need to go figure out what I need to fix. It doesn't really make sense for a lot of companies to go figure out, okay, let's go define the 500 best practice checks that our company wants to adhere to. It's here are the best, back, best practice checks. This is what you need to focus on. Uh, AWS has AWS Trusted Advisor. We think it's a great tool. We actually bring it into our product as well. We have a few more checks. We think we go a little bit deeper in some areas. And this is so that people don't feel like we're, there's anything that's not being viewed or anything not being monitored uh, in their deployments. So here are the 500 again. Uh, cost, security, we, we've been focusing on security, but we also have cost ones. Do you have instances that are running at 3% utilization? Uh, do you have, um, we get into utilization as well, do you have uh, ELBs that aren't launching in multi-AZ? Uh, those are simple checkboxes, but they, again, very easy to forget, and it's gonna be something where you don't notice it or you don't appreciate it until something goes down and takes your entire site with you. Uh, with it. Uh, that is, again, not a fun place to be. AWS has gotten very, very good, I think, about keeping their regions and their AZs up. Uh, many years ago, there were definitely some outages, but so far, lately, I'd say they've been doing a good job. They always stress, though, AZs can go down. You want to make sure that you have that, the checks in there so that you are uh, redundant and you do have good durability within your application. So we talked about the best practices. How do you get that information? I would say one thing CloudTracker realizes, and just as a developer, you don't necessarily want to go log into a website every day to understand or see what's came up. I want this to come into my Slack channel. I want it to go to PagerDuty. I want it to go wherever my logging is, SNS topics, so I can write a Lambda function to do whatever. I want it to come to me so that I don't have to go in there, or if I forget to go into the, to the website a couple days, I don't miss something. So making sure that you have the action, you have the items coming directly to where you're comfortable, where you're gonna be during the day that you'll be able to notice it. Because information overload is, I'm sure everyone here has experienced it. We have emails, you can definitely get it sent to email. I would say we discourage that because a lot of people can't even keep up with their emails today. The last thing they're gonna to want to do is add to that. So have it go to your Slack channel or wherever it is that you feel comfortable that you can monitor it and keep up with it. So, Talked about security. The next piece, as we said, uh, is cost. Cost goes hand in hand with security. If you keep uh, everything in check, you'd be surprised at how quickly, uh, once someone becomes responsible for what they're spending in the cloud, their bill goes down very quickly. Uh, it's no longer, hey, IT's budget, they're gonna pay for everything. It's this dev team has it, or this project team has it. They're responsible for their monthly bill. Uh, so cost optimization, making sure you have those daily reports, the weekly reports. Hey, did our bill go up by more than 10% day over day? Because I've seen it before where a script, they added an extra zero. Instead of launching like three servers, it launched 30. Or instead of 30, it's 300. You don't notice it for a couple days, and before you realize it, you've uh, doubled your bill for the month. Those are the kind of things you want to, you don't want to have to log in and check or monitor it yourself. You just want to say, hey, just tell me when something's going wrong making sure that you can then make the decision. Is that planned? Is that something that we need to go uh, focus on? <clears throat> now we get into cost allocation, uh, especially with consolidated billing. Depending how you have tags set up, it might be that you have a lot of workloads, a lot of different teams using the exact same AWS account. So it's really important to make sure you have the tagging strategy as we talked about in the very beginning so that you can do the chargebacks. 
What you don't want to have happen is one team launches a ton of stuff, they spend a ton of money, and all the other team, you don't know how to proportion out that bill, or it is very hard to allocate the cost without a ton of manual intervention. You want to be able to do that very quickly because again, that's not typically a value add for anyone in this room to want to parse through their bill and understand who used what and where. Just, I'm going to tag it, tell me what it is at the end of the month. If I want to dive into certain pieces, I can. Optimizing around uh, consolidated billing is one thing that is very, very important. Uh, you have reserved instances, which we talked about earlier. Now there's Several different strategies, uh, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes, but one of them is, and probably one of the easier ones to get set up, is just as an organization, we're going to look at lowering the bill for everyone uh, at the company. So what is your utilization on certain families, uh, certain instance family types, uh, in certain regions, uh, platforms, so that we can buy on aggregate our eyes to save money. That is something that I like AWS's reports, they do a very good job, but sometimes you want to be able to visualize that. You want to be able to see a chart and say, okay, for this one, is it, did it just go up in the last 30 days? Has it been steadily climbing over the last year? So that you can make these decisions. Uh, I will strongly suggest do not get stuck in analysis paralysis. Uh, I have seen more times than not that people say, okay, we're going to start buying our eyes. We want to start going down that path. Uh, it's going to take us six months to figure out what we want to buy because we want to make sure that we don't uh, overspend or have our eyes that go unused. Well, if you look back over those six months, the amount of money that they could have saved would have greatly outweighed anything that they could have uh, accidentally wasted money on or had an RI that went unused because they switched a workload around. So get started, buy something small, which we'll go into in just a minute, get your feet wet, make sure everyone's comfortable with it. And this is also where, actually forgot to mention this, Having the visibility for your finance team is going to be very important in this, especially as you get to the point where these bills get big, there's going to be a lot more eyes looking at it, making sure that they are comfortable. They understand that when you commit to, say, a three-year RI or a three-year convertible one, what that actually means. Maybe it's no upfront, so it's not spending money today, but you've committed to spend this much money over this long of a period. Now, one thing that people should remember is that there is the AWS marketplace for RIs. So even if you get one that isn't uh, that your workload changes or you don't want to keep using it for long term, you can liquidate it. You can offload it so that it's no longer something that you have to pay for. AWS takes a small cut, but if you do the math, uh, depending on the RI, it can be three or four months. Uh, if you if you use an RI for three or four months and you sell it, you pay the cut. Uh, it takes a week or two. You still would have been you would have broken even on if you had just done on demand. So this is where if you can even commit for just a couple months, you can be sure that uh, worst case scenario, you'll break even if you hadn't done anything at all. And this is where you'd want to have the tools to be able to monitor and say, okay, what are the RIs that we're not using uh, so that you know which ones to, uh, to offload. So here we get into uh, visualizing your usage. <clears throat> Excuse me. Visualizing your usage. Uh, you want to be able to look at here. This is where we talked about the, uh, the long-term trend. If you're buying it in aggregate or even as a, uh, as a specific team, what are we averaging each and every month? Are, is our, I'm sorry, are our costs going up? I'm sorry, is our usage going up? Are we spiky? Do we need to look at scheduled RIs? Do we need to, what do we need to do to make sure that our usage is in line with the RIs that we want to buy? Then being able to track that down to, okay, this is what we have today, which it's a little bit hard to see on here, but the bottom part of the chart, that's kind of the darker green, 
That's showing what you have today. Gold line is saying, hey, this is where your optimal level would be, uh, given your usage. You can see, though, that it's still well below kind of where your peak is, and that's because you didn't have that peak for more than 30 days, so it's not quite at the point that you'd want to commit to it. Or maybe it is because you know you just launched a new product, and that product's going to be out there for a very long time. Let's buy the RIs today so that you start saving money on day one, and you don't wait six months to, uh, to make sure that your usage is up um, to a certain piece. So this is where if you know the product, you know what your, the usage is going to be, how long it's going to be there, you can make very, very uh, informed decisions on what, it's going to, or on what your RI strategy should be. So how do you actually buy the RIs? What is the process? How do you want to implement this in your organization? And I focus on this a lot because that is one of the, first, or one of the biggest stumbling blocks people have when they try and uh, commit to doing RIs. I say once a month. Have a team, you do it at the end of the month, you want to get it in so that the next month you see all the savings uh, in your bill. And do it at the end of the month, have the same people do it, they're always responsible for it. Put the order in so that uh, when they expire, you can buy them roughly with about the same time, uh, you can buy new ones roughly about the same time they expire without having to do it 10 times during the month because you bought some on the 8th, some on the 12th, some on the 17th, some on the 25th but you don't want to have them overlap. And when they expire, you want to buy new ones or renew them. So have it around the same time every month. Do it each and every month so that you can see your usage. Now, this chart is showing <clears throat> in the blue, this is what you're getting billed on demand. You do that first RI purchase, it goes down. Uh, the gold line is showing what your RI coverage is. Now, this is a percentage. Uh, good rule of thumb is around 80% coverage but it really depends on your workload. Sometimes actually you can only go 20 or 30% coverage. Other times you want to go straight to 100% because you know this workload is going to be there. It's not going anywhere. You want to capture all the savings that you possibly can. So this is where we say start small, start on day one, get some RIs going. Uh, get the process down, make sure everyone's comfortable with it, make sure you can manage it. The reporting is there. So the first purchase, it doesn't quite get you all the way down. The gold line is maybe probably about 50%. Each and every month, that is going back up. And what the end result, the end goal is going to be that that's going to oscillate right around where your target uh, RI coverage percent is. That's going to give you the best bang for the buck. Uh, you're not going to be worried every day that your RIs go unused or if there's a big shift that you can't do anything with it. And on the topic of RIs going unused, don't be scared if they go unused. If you're saving $100,000 a month and you waste $3,000 on unused RIs, you still saved a ton of money. And that's okay to waste a little bit of money to save the rest. Uh, some people are so concerned that they focus on that and they will stop buying RIs the minute they see something go unused or a little bit of waste go out. They want to make sure that that doesn't happen. And while that's great, you definitely don't want to waste, don't let that stand in the way of the bigger picture of trying to save as much as you can, as easily as you can. So, We've talked a lot in theory, uh, how, does this, how this works, what it looks like, how you actually implement it. We actually did a case study, and I wish I had the laser pointer working, but this shows where they started uh, their journey. And this is actually mimics, not by design, the very first chart we did, uh, where your usage starts off relatively small, and it can grow exponentially very, very quickly. So the black lines or gray lines here, or the gray bars, I should say, is just showing instance hours per month. Uh, so at the bottom, we're about 500,000. At the very top, a little over three, or close to 3 million. And the purple line there is showing what their RI coverage percentage was. So you can see in the beginning there, it's what, four or 5%, basically non-existent. They have a couple RIs. 
their usage starts growing right about the middle of the chart. They still are at that three or four percent uh, coverage, not very helpful uh, as far as saving money. They start getting a little bit better. Uh, they take their first by about three quarters of the way through. They do that first purchase. Now, it kind of levels off. This is where it's, hey, they did that first purchase. They made sure finance was okay with it. They made sure the teams were okay with it. The reporting work, they had all of that go through for a month or two to make sure that there were no problems when they scaled up and they started doing massive purchases. But you can see that in that time, their usage keeps growing each and every month. So if you look at where at the very end, the very last one, the gold one, which is showing the number of hours billed at an RI rate or a discounted rate, the very last chart is the same number of hours they had in total just two months prior. Now we put up there, if they'd done this, shifted this six months earlier, they could have saved over half a million dollars. That is very real money. And the process was not a ton of time. You're talking, I think for them, it was one or two people uh, in the very beginning, maybe 30 or 40% 30 of their time. Going forward, they got it down to, I think, one or two days a month they were doing for their RI process. Now, for one or two days a month, I think that's very much worth $500,000. I would love to have a job that uh, paid that much, but this is where the amount of savings you can get by starting early, even if you are only buying a couple RIs, get the process down, get it going, so when you do scale up, you're not caught flat-footed and you're making sure that you have the savings uh, on day one. So this is what it, we take that same chart. Uh, we looked at what the actual costs were. So this, would, uh, this metric, it's not perfect, but basically it's saying uh, per instance hour how much they were paying. Uh, you can see it's 20 cents in the beginning. Uh, they do that first RI purchase, it goes down to 19, 17. Uh, you can see the green bar going down, that's how much they've saved month over month on their EC2 uh, spend. Their RIs, they do that first purchase, it goes down 11%, 7%. They actually didn't buy RIs for one month. For whatever reason, things couldn't get approved, people are out, the process kind of fell apart. Their cost actually went up that month. Uh, now in the same time, they were doing right sizing, uh, which is something that I uh, actually missed in the first one. But at, when you buy RIs, you wanna make sure that all of your workloads are right sized, so that when you're buying, you're not changing the workload size or the instance family uh, after you've already purchased the RIs. You can definitely match it, especially with convertible RIs or Linux RIs, they just count within the entire family. But that just adds a little bit of extra work. Uh, so while they're going through this, they're right-sizing, they didn't do it for one month. They caught back up the next month and they saved 23% in one month. If you look at the 20 cents an hour to 12 cents an hour, their cost went down 40% through just RIs and right-sizing. Now, I can't emphasize enough the right-sizing aspect and RIs go hand in hand. Uh, if you go down one size in a family, that's 50% savings. Maybe instead of like an M4, you go to a T2 and it's not 50%, it's 30 or 40%. You throw an RI on top of that and you can easily get 60, 70, 80% savings if you're over-provisioned today. Now I will say we've gone in, talked to people, had that conversation come up, and you put that number in front of them and they almost don't believe you. They think that that's way too high of a number, that can't possibly happen, that's just a sales gimmick, whatever. You show them, hey, we're gonna take a small subset, we're gonna take one team, one project, one group, and we're gonna do that, uh, we're gonna work with that team to show you the savings that we realize, then you can extrapolate it out. They see the proof, they start uh, believing it, and they're gonna put more resources behind it because they see the dollars that you can save, how easily you saved it, and how, uh, how effective it was at making sure that your growth continues without the bill going too high. High coverage hours, good there.
So MSPs, uh, this is where, if you are an MSP, AWS's billing is very fun to handle. Uh, one thing that you want to be able to do is have a automated way to give your customers their information. Uh, I can't tell you one, uh, I can't tell you enough or how many times we've seen MSPs, they're helping customers get on board, they bring more customers on, they're getting them in the cloud, and it's actually their accounting teams that are starting to push back, saying every new customer you add takes X hours every month to process, and we only have three or four people, we literally can't do any more around this. Now, that's for an MSP. We also see that at large enterprises where the teams themselves can't necessarily manage uh, the, <laughs> they can't necessarily manage how they're receiving the bill. I can't tell you how many times we've seen people come in and say they didn't have consolidated billing stood up, everything was on the corporate card, and every week they're getting an invoice and they'd have to send it out to the 10 different account owners say, whose invoice is this? Because they didn't know. It is very, very frustrating uh, when you're going to the cloud, as you're getting there, to have to do that stuff. That is something that it just is an annoyance and can get in your way of really getting the value of it, which is moving fast, getting your workloads up there, adapting, changing, and empowering your developers to launch whatever they want, whenever they want, so that they can move quickly, they can test their services, test their products, test their code, get it in front of customers uh, as quickly as possible. So you want to eliminate all of the annoyances that can come around by being unprepared or not, uh, thinking ahead as you get going uh, through your journey. The, <clears throat> I'm sorry, uh, one thing that is also important, AWS actually announced this recently, <clears throat> was amortizing RIs. That is something that is very uh, annoying if you do the partial upfront or full upfront when you have to uh, portion those costs out because that's a huge bill one month, obviously it goes down the following months, but how do you do that? How do you account for that? How do you take the hit in the budget this year, even though it's still gonna give, save you money next year. One thing that AWS launched uh, when they did the convertible RIs, they didn't have the no upfront three years. Uh, they recently launched that, actually probably a couple months ago now. Uh, I would say that those were a bit of a game changer. It allows you to get a ton of savings, doesn't lock you in because you can change it to whatever you want. It's not a big ask like the three year regular RIs where you have to pay that all upfront. That can be a, a financial issue sometimes. Uh, to put all that money up front. So it's very easy to start saving the money, start getting that information, or I'm sorry, to have that information to, if uh, you do need to change it, you need to modify it, have it go in a different direction uh, without having to get a ton of approval or make sure that you, um, your workloads are gonna be the exact same thing for three years because you can convert it to whatever you need. Uh, Linux RIs, if you haven't heard the announcement uh, a while ago, everything within a family gets counted, so they actually just look at footprint now. It's amazing, I think, because it makes it so much easier. Uh, we actually, in our reports, uh, normalize everything down to, I think, a micro. So it's, hey, or I'm, yeah, I think a micro. Uh, you need to go buy 700 of them, even if you're launching uh, an R3 like 8XL or 16XL, uh, whatever it might be. That is how we would normalize it so that you can be as granular as possible with the amount of savings that you can get. So if you aren't using Amazon Linux, definitely look into that just because the savings, A, the licensing cost makes it all a little bit nicer, uh, but the RIs work very, very nicely uh, with them. Profitability, uh, utilization. I'm gonna just step back on that one for just a minute. The 
ability to look at not necessarily just, hey, here's my CPU utilization, but for a different, for a given load balancer, when are we seeing the spikes come up? What does my heat map look like? Maybe it's certain days out of the week you're seeing a spike, like on Tuesdays. So maybe that is where you need to change what your minimum, uh, your, the minimum number of servers you have running. Uh, one thing that is also important to look at with the per second billing. If you haven't caught, uh, if you haven't heard that or up to speed on it, it's now, if you, before if you launched two instances uh, in the same hour, so one was on for 10 minutes, you turned it off, launched another one, you get billed two hours, regardless of how long uh, the second one was on. Now, if you launch them both within the same hour, they will look at what the timestamp of when one started and one stopped. What we've seen uh, is customers can be much more aggressive with their auto-scaling rules now. Before, you wouldn't want to auto to go up and down within the same hour because you're basically paying double for extra capacity. But now that you have that, you have the per second billing, you can be much more aggressive in how quickly you spin stuff up and spin stuff down, uh, which saves a ton of money, especially when you get into uh, the overlapping pieces or if you have very, very bursty workloads. You can get into uh, Lambda. If you haven't looked at that, that is, that is great. You don't even have to worry about the server running behind it. You just upload your code and hit go. That's great, you can save a ton of money, you don't have to have a server running 24-7, but you can still way over-provision your Lambda functions. Uh, you can have them be on an instance and have way too much memory assigned to them. So you wanna be able to right-size those as well, uh, because that is that can add up very, very quickly, depending on how often your workloads are running, how many calls you're doing. Uh, so that is where the utilization of not just uh, EC2 instances and their CPU, it's the products that are just as a service on demand, you can be over-provisioned there. DynamoDB is another example. Uh, I loved when they launched the auto-scaling for DynamoDB because that was one of the frustrations because you had to constantly be monitoring it. You wanted kind of a database on demand. You didn't want to have to, you know, you're not running an instance. You didn't want to have to plan for that. You just wanted it to work and say, okay, if I send you more workloads or more work or more queries, I just want you to be able to handle it. Just do it for me. Uh, the auto-scaling does it in about 15-minute increments, or that's about the time it takes to react. Uh, those types of things, turning it on, making sure that you're not over-provisioned there, especially in Dynamo, because it can get costly if you, uh, if you have your throughput turned up too high. Having those reports, being able to monitor, the, monitor that is, uh, is very important as you get off of launching everything yourselves, monitoring all of your own, service, or your own servers, and using all of these services that AWS provides you. The other one, uh, what was the blanking? Oh, EBS volumes. Um, one thing that always happens, uh, and AWS actually really did a good job, they cut the price of snapshots, this was probably about a year or two ago now, uh, but they cut it by about 50%, because people were using snapshots as backups. Uh, one thing that we have that is a good monitor is to know, okay, what snapshots do you have for things that just don't exist anymore? Because snapshots are still relatively expensive depending on the volume and how much data you're storing and how often and what your life cycle is there. But making sure that you don't have stale stuff out there that just is not being used or you have EBS volumes that aren't being attached. Uh, again, not rocket science, but it's also not something that people want to focus on all the time or go in and look at it every day or run the Excel spreadsheets that match things up. It's, hey, this is what's not attached. This is what I need to be monitoring so that when you do have 50,000 snapshots or 100,000 snapshots, you're not trying to export it into Excel and run certain macros to figure something out. Here are the 50 or the 500 that aren't attached. Let's go through those. Let's focus on those because that is real savings uh, when you can clean that type of stuff up. 
So, in conclusion, uh, cloud governance, you want to unify IT, security, finance, you want them all looking at the same pane of glass. You don't want to have to translate export stuff. You want to have the finance people able to see the exact same reports uh, that your developers are looking at because developers are ultimately responsible, especially for um, development instances, development environments, making sure that their costs stay in line, they're within budget. Uh, if you run something in production, you have probably profitability margin you have to be looking at, making sure that you're not overspending on stuff. Uh, you want everyone to be looking at the exact same place. And that also goes with the security team. You want them looking at the exact same thing the developer team is looking at. And you almost want the security team empowering your developers to say, hey, guys, when this is red for product XYZ, you need to fix it. Like, you know well enough that you shouldn't have SSH open to the world. You shouldn't have this port open or you should lock this down. Me as a security guy, I shouldn't have to be the one to come in and spend a lot of time telling you this or fixing it myself. That's not going to scale if you have 100 development teams and you're launching stuff every day. You want to make sure that the teams are empowered and knowledgeable enough to take responsibility of that themselves. So. Cloud Checker, we do have a free trial. It's one marketing thing I'll put out there. Sign up, uh, kick the tires. I'm more than happy to get on a call with anyone. I love solving the, the problems, ask, seeing what your pain points are, understanding what we could do to make your life easier. Try it out, get your data in there. It takes about 30 seconds to, uh, to set up an account. We have a CloudFormation script. It's like uh, copy and paste two things and you're done. So try it out, see what's there. Just see what, the, what we come back with, what maybe issues that you thought were fine that you just didn't realize was out there. Take a look at it, see if it's something that's helpful. Uh, even if you just walk away with, okay, we found a bunch of stuff, we're gonna fix it, just try it out. And lastly, we do have a booth. Uh, if you've been to the Expo Hall, it is the one with the 10-foot diagonal uh, monitor there. Hopefully you couldn't miss it, but if you have missed it, please stop by. We have t-shirts, stickers, all of that fun stuff. And with that, uh, any questions you guys have, Love to go back and forth, anything you'd like to go over or anything you'd like to see. The one question we typically get a lot is uh, on the tagging piece, what is something that um, finance is going to go with? So cost center is typically one, but depending how they have that done, do they want to narrow that down? Uh, so you can have kind of hierarchical tags so that teams can have budgets within cost centers. You don't have to necessarily ask your finance team to rearrange something. Uh, the other one is don't get too verbose with your tags. You don't necessarily need to put the OS as a tag because that is in the instance metadata. Like you can find that out what platform it's running on. So make sure that you're not kind of doubling up the data or doubling up the places you'd have to look uh, to find the source of truth because tags, you do have to maintain them, whereas the instance metadata, you can query that or have that get exported uh, so that you don't have to update that or put that in every time you launch something. Any other questions? Any pieces you guys want to go into? Any pain points you guys have? I'm actually curious. Any market research we can do while we have everyone here? Frustrations? I'm sorry? So, so the question was tags. Sounds like you've had some trouble with it. Uh, so the, breaking it down by tag. One thing that is very common with that is that people won't realize what they don't have tagged. So it's basically what is not compliant. Uh, what are things that we need to go back and actually put this tag on so that when you run the reports, it's actually accurate and 60% of it can't be quantified or divided up. 
uh, or grouped up. Uh, so there are untagged reports that you can run, um, making sure that uh, every service that can support tags. Now this was more of a problem probably six, eight months ago when not everything supported tags, just about everything now supports it. Uh, on a side note, with um, security groups, they added the description field to the rules. I don't know how that wasn't in there on day one, uh, but that was awesome because now you actually remembered what those rules are for, why you had certain things open. So if you do have questions on specifics uh, on tags, definitely more than happy to stay after and uh, go over that with you. Any other questions? Wow, so everyone has a Netflix level DevOps shop going on is what I hear. That is very cool. All right, well thank you guys very much. Uh, if you do have questions, I'll be here for a while and please stop by the booth. Thank you guys.